This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Shift. You know, I really didn't want to not put up a podcast this week. I didn't want to not put up an episode, but I'm finding it hard because... Well, some people probably know already, but my mom died today. And I know it's kind of like a weird thing to just decide to sort of share my thoughts with you, but it's a commitment thing, really. Because, you know, I used to do the Dis Bishop podcast, and I didn't keep it up. And I regretted that. And I know that you would understand if I didn't put up, but we just got started, and... I thought the least I could do was just share a little bit about why there's not like a normal episode today. Not gonna lie, I haven't even run this by Katie. I mean, she sent me a lovely text today and poor Katie, she's been through like the emotional ringer since doing this podcast because, well, first of all, you know, only a couple of months ago, she had no idea she was going to be doing a podcast with me. Next thing, it just kind of takes over your life. And then on top of that, you know, I flew her to Dublin to do Vicar Street. And that was like intense, you know, like a lot of flying out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, like suddenly you're on stage in Vicar Street performing to a thousand people, just recording crazy amount of podcasts. We flew back to New York and it was just like super intense. Now, I couldn't explain to you properly the the intensity of what was going on because I just didn't want to talk too much about what was going on with my mother. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the point is that actually for the last couple of weeks, all this has been swirling around, but I just didn't want to like drop it on you guys. Plus, you know, I won't get into the details of what was going on with my mom, but it wasn't actually... It wasn't actually that clear that she was going to die today. I know some people don't like the word death, but it is what it is. Well, you know, people say, like, she passed away and all that. Like, that's fine. You know, she passed and all that, but, you know, she died. That's it. But 
she uh you know she's 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 been doing all right the last number of years you know she had lung cancer before and then she recovered from that slowly because she had a lot of complications because of um infections and then she had a bad fall and you know then she was recovering from that and things seemed to be getting better then she had another fall she broke her hip you know she broke her neck the first fall then she broke her hip the second fall but then finally we got you know we got a bit of like stability and she had like a good three years of stability and independence and you know everything seemed to be okay and then recently she just started getting a bit of pain to the point where about five or six weeks ago she uh she just couldn't stand I, I think about six weeks ago she just couldn't stand that the pain was so much and she has so many problems like i i won't even bore you with the different problems that she had gotta get into the past tense um you know she had mds she had lupus she had osteoporosis and she had copd and but the osteoporosis got so bad that i mean essentially the the lower part of her spine kind of gave up collapsed maybe you could say and she was in some bad pain but she was really trying to fight to get back to some sort of normality we've had a lot of trips back and forth. we had three goes at the hospital in that my mother was totally with it by the way through all this the last sort of five weeks just the pain was so much but obviously there's other things that were happening uh with this COPD you know like just really the pain was I think just one thing too many for her body that has been fighting for years to stay above water and in the end after a sort of second rehab trip that just didn't work out within 24 hours she was back in the hospital with like an infection uh we took her back to the hospital to fight off that infection one more time if people follow me on instagram that's why i had to fly back from boston for like a few hours last saturday um and she was just like i gotta get home which was we were totally fine we set her up at home but honestly we really thought we were setting her up at home for like you know a good few weeks you know because i'm supposed to be in Galway this weekend which i'm canceling i haven't actually had a chance to officially cancel that yet but i haven't actually given that many other people jobs to do i'm a little bit of a control freak but my agency is looking after that but you know i'm supposed to go to australia on sunday night you know for the melbourne comedy festival and, um i was thinking like even with my brothers i was thinking okay i'll come back i came back for a couple of days but i booked a flight back for tomorrow night to be back for my gigs in galway i wasn't coming back to say goodbye i was coming back to just figure out the lie of the land just in case she faded away you know or just in case she started to go into that like not with it phase because i you know i've done this with my dad i said let me be around while she's a bit lucid and you know yesterday afternoon she seemed okay but uh you know as the as the evening went on you know the the the, the lucidness faded and that was it in terms of communication and then you know, the doctor had been in yesterday to say, 
could be soon or it could be a month, you know. So suddenly, you know, from yesterday afternoon, I, I knew it was a bit more real, but I only landed at like one o'clock. And then, uh, anyway, this morning was clear that like the game had changed and we got the doctor back in, you know, the hospice doc. We had a hospice care in the house and uh, the doctor, it was a different story. But I, I knew anyway because, you know, I, I went through this with my dad. Like she already had the death rattle going on and everything. I mean, listen, if, if you haven't been through this, maybe this seems a bit morbid. But if you've been through this, you just kind of know like it's think it's pretty similar for most people um and i've held so many of my friends like little babies lately and it's just so joyous you know birth and infants and toddlers it's like so joyous man and death is sad but it's just the same as that you know it's 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 just the same cycle I know that we hate talking about death, but it's just as much a part of us as those those the joy of those younger years and the life changes and you know it's just so much a part of who we are and uh so anyway uh you know i I was surprised, but the death rattle was happening like well before I was expecting it and you know it's tough because with my dad it was like real clear like it's coming for days and you know weeks really and we had a year and a half of doing the show and you know terminal diagnosis you know dad's got you know at best a year and a half let's use it Whereas with this, it was just like literally 24 hours ago that we started to think like this might be it. In fairness to my brother Mike, my, br my brother Mike has been on this from the start like five weeks ago that this is not good. Like this is, this could be, we could be heading to the end. I actually thought, I'm not going to, I really thought he was being dramatic. You know, but we... Myself and my brothers, we fight about a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you, man, we think we, one thing we inherited from my mother, when it comes to a crisis, we are unified. This is twice now. We definitely, we're good at getting it done. And uh, so I got to hand it to my brother Mike, because I don't know what I, what I, I don't even know what I've been back. Because I actually, I was in Limerick on Saturday doing the show. And uh, I had my finger on the button to book a flight back for Monday. And then I didn't book it because uh, I was like, ah, you know, like she, she's, she's been bad before and just like pulled through. And not just pulled through, but just like pulled through for a long time. So I was just like, don't jump the gun, man. You, you know, make sure that, you know, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be like, not needing to be there. Not that I wouldn't want to be back, but like, I just left. I was here last week. Uh, but then my brother Mike the next day was like, nah, man, you, just in case, man, you should come back. So I booked it on Sunday, flew yesterday. So fair play to him. And then my brother Aiden, I mean, some of you guys know Aiden, he's a comedian in Dublin too, but he came back 
last week because we were getting my mom out of the hospital. We were setting up the house for care because, you know, she really wasn't able to walk. So we knew she was going to be bed bound with the pain. I mean, she could actually stand up, but she was losing that ability, not from the pain, but actually from the the muscles. But now, of course, I realized like she was dying. She was been dying for weeks, but that wasn't actually that obvious to me. Um, so anyway, it was weird because it was just so much clearer with my dad that it was coming. And then there was a lot of people around. And then suddenly I got this, like, I, I just was looking at my mother and I was like, I told my brother, I was like, Mike, we got to, uh, we got to get people out of the room and we got to like. Let's just be with her for a while because I, you know, I just, just in case it's close. And then, um, the strangest thing, like my, my, I was next, I was on the other side. My mother was like slightly sort of, cause we have help. The, the, the hospice aid was turning my mother every two hours, you know, so that she wouldn't get bed sores. And, uh, my brother was like, oh, there's, her eyes are open a bit more. Because I had been trying to, she was talking yesterday. I was like, and I even held off on a bit of morphine this morning, hoping to get like, just like another couple of words, you know? And she wasn't even, you know, she, you know, she wasn't home. Like she was alive, but she wasn't home. And then my brother was like, oh, Des, her eyes are open. And I walked around, I saw the eyes, and I was like, oh, hey, Ma, and I won't give you too much details because we don't, I don't, we don't know each other. <laughs> and this is pretty fresh, but, um, you know, with the eyes open, I just thought, all right, let, let her know, like, we, we're here. And then my brother Aiden was in the other room, so I was like, Aiden, you know what, just come in, man, because Mom's eyes are open at the moment, and, like, let's just let her know we're here, you know? Like, man, like, Aiden was there, and then lo and behold, it was like, this is it. And then, you know, I mean, I won't get too into it, just because, like, I guess there's boundaries, right, in this situation, but we were there, and it happens, and anyone who's been in that situation knows, like, it's... It's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, with my dad, it was a little more obvious when he actually went. So we, we had a little bit of a debate this time, but in the end it was clear. My dad had a few more sort of like obvious last gasps and also his death rattle phase and all that stuff was a lot longer. This was quick, which is good, you know? But it's a little bit tougher because it's uh, a little more shocking. And also, um, my mother has a big family here in Queens. And, you know, my dad had a sister. She lived far away in Australia. And all his people are in Ireland or mostly in Ireland, you know? My mom's people are mostly here. And they've been around and 
They're great, but that's tough, you know. It's a lot of people, a lot of personalities. And I felt bad because not all of them had been by, you know. And some of them were here this morning and some of them were here yesterday, but none of them thought that this was the time, you know. But you just can't. You just can't know. You know? You just can't know. And that's it. You know? The All the stuff starts. And, I mean, most of these people that listen to this podcast are in Ireland, so it doesn't really matter, but we got the hospice of New York. I mean, this they, these people were amazing. Dr. Schwartz came in. What a great guy. Real practical stuff, man. You know, the practicalities are so important because you can forget. You get wrapped up in the care. You can forget. And he reminded me, like, you know, you don't have to wait for your mom to die to call the funeral home. I called the funeral home today to do prearrangements. I swear to God, I thought I was telling them about something that we were going to be calling them about. And at most, at the least, I should say, a few days. I called them back two hours later. Unbelievable. And, um, you know, you got to like, you got to get an official pronouncement of death. You got to get the time of death. Then, you know, they have to do a death certificate. Then the death certificate goes to the funeral home. Then the funeral home provides you with as many death certificates as you want. For, you know, for stuff that now has to happen. Because, you know, the truth is that when my dad died, everything just went to my mom. And there's like, my mom did a lot of that paperwork. But now she's gone and we got to do it. And I'm cool with that, but it's different. It's different. And hey, I'm not going to lie. My dad was a great guy. Some people here listening... We did a lot of stuff at the end with my dad. He was a, he was a performer. He was a he he loved the he loved the performance of the whole thing. You know, he loved the thinking about the end and thinking about where he wanted his ashes spread. And he loved the show that we did, and he loved the documentary, and he loved the fact that they wrote articles about him at the end. He loved all that. And he was a great dad. But honestly, he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Whereas today, this was the actress in a lead role. My mom was the boss. And I'm not saying that was always good. She was tough, man. She was a tough lady. Cold sometimes, but she got it done. In the Eileen Bishop way. And. Uh, so. The boss isn't around. To deal with it. And that's. That's tough in its own right. You know. But. I think she'd be pretty happy with the job that we were doing. I mean she was pretty good at. You know letting us look after things. Over the last couple of years. 
you know, she, she had, she had, uh, let go a lot of that control and all that stuff. And, uh, it is a good feeling to have been around. I don't mean there today, because that's luck sometimes. But myself and my two brothers, like, since my mom had lung cancer, you know, the end of 2014, like, I was still in China when my my mother got lung cancer. I just had to fly back from China, just, you know, and then, I mean, I was in Letterkenny. I remember 2015, I was back in Ireland touring, and I was in, I was in Letterkenny on, on a Saturday night. I had this, like, insane run. I, I came back from China. I, and I immediately started doing shows in Ireland. I had like a crazy weekend of shows. And on the Saturday night, I was in Letterkenny. And then finally, I was driving back to Dublin that night. And I just was getting to bed. And I was like, finally, finally, I can get a rest. And I fell asleep at like 3 a.m. And I'm a terrible sleeper in the morning. I woke up at 7 a.m. My brother Aiden called me. And he was like, mom fell down the stairs and broke her neck. And at 10.30, I was flying to New York. And that was 2015. But the point is that, you know, it, it, it's it's been a tough road with the caretaking, but we were there, all of us. My brother Mike lives here. He did his bit. I mean, God, especially this time. My brother Aiden, he, you know, in that in that period of time with the cancer surgery and then the broken neck and then eventually a broken hip while I was in Boston at the Wilbur Theater doing Made in China. You know, my mom was a bad patient, all right? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story about that. My my mother was um, not good at recovering slow. I constantly used to say to her mom, the shortest way around is the longest way home. Just take it slow and let's get this right. And then we never have to get back to a hospital. But she couldn't stop with the cleaning and the ironing and the clothes. And, you know, she was she was not very balanced back in those days. And a couple of times I had fights with her. I was like, mom, you got to stop with the stairs all the time and the, you know, just doing stuff all the time. Just slow down just a touch. It's like, we're going to get back to full belt, but you can't get there too quick. And I was in Boston at the Wilbur, and then I did a gig in Portland, Maine that weekend. I can look up the dates. I'm just too lazy to look them up now just to give it a sense of time, but I think I think it was the it was the autumn of 2015 because it was November because I remember the frost had just fallen and and I went to an orchard on the way back down uh because my I knew that my mother was in the hospital already I stopped in an orchard and uh to pick up some apples to bring back and the frost had already fallen because the people at the orchard said we still have some good apples but some of them have been a little bit affected by the frost. Anyway, the night before, I headed back. I was in Maine. 
And my brother called me and he said, did you know that mom fell? And actually, no, it just so happened that with everything that was going on, I, I didn't find out, I think, for like 12 hours. So I called her. And I said, Mom, everything all right? She was like, no. So what happened? She said, I had a fall and I broke my hip. And I said, well, why didn't you call me? She said, because I didn't want to talk to you. And I said, why? And she said, because you were right. <laughs> that's, that's my mom. She was stubborn. But, you know, it really was only to her detriment later on in life. It served her well throughout her life. And really, you know, even though it was tough at that time where she could have maybe she could have maybe taken it a little easier and saved herself a couple of bad falls. It served her well after that too because actually she fought back pretty well. Sold the house and we got this place here that I'm in right now. It's a two-bedroom apartment, a little another part of Queens near where we grew up. And uh, she had a nice independent life for for quite a while. You know, until literally six or seven weeks ago, I mean, she was still driving. Not great. I mean, we didn't want her driving, but that wasn't going to stop her, you know. She wasn't giving up that car. But she was doing her own little bits of shopping until six or seven weeks ago. And this back pain the last few weeks was pretty horrific, but really not that long. She had a pretty good go of it, to be honest. So anyway... I kind of got into a bit of a long story about what's been going on since the end of 2014, but hasn't all been that bad. You know, I've been I've been living back here, so actually I've been around a lot more. You know, and I was around a lot at that time, like the, after the cancer surgery and the falls. I've been around for like most of that. And it's part of the reason why I've been back here. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I don't really have that much else to say. I mean, I could talk about this for quite a while. I'm enjoying talking to nobody. I know I'm talking to you. And when I say you, I mean individually each you. In your headphones, in your car. It's you. I know you think that's a plural, but it's you. Just to know what it's like at this time, this moment, the night of 3.41 p.m. That's when she died. It's, um, actually I don't even have a watch in here, but it's about 11 p.m. New York time. So, not that long ago really. And it's now, and I think that's kind of like something cool about that in terms of podcasting you know fuck it we'll just share this moment you know um but when i say i'm talking to you i'm saying that we're all going through this in some way i mean i've been lucky i've been there with both my parents at the end and i knew a little bit earlier with my dad but in the end we knew it my mom we were there 
So I've been lucky. And not everyone that's listening will have been or will be lucky like that. But all of us, or most of us, are going to lose our parents. You know? And you got to be ready. And I know this is kind of like boring, but if your parents are older and they haven't like done the chats about like what's going to happen afterwards, make sure you do it. Don't, it's not morbid. It's really practical. Thank God everything was sorted. I mean, I made some calls yesterday, but they were all like, nah, your mother did it. Everything's done. You got to be ready. You never know. So just do it. Do the research. Get a lawyer. Do what you got to do. It just makes this evening that I'm going through right now so much easier. You have no idea. The the relief. Because I didn't, I didn't have my own shit sorted out in that. I came back here with a flight booked for tomorrow night thinking I was going back to do my shows in Galway. I had to change flights tonight. It's fucking torturous. I changed my Delta flight. They waived the fee. They were trying to charge me a change fee, which was fine, but it was a lot. Now, I got, I'm going to be honest. I flew business here. And I really, I had a business return. And then when I was changing the flight, I wanted to get the return back business. But on the night I wanted to fly, there was no business seats left. And I could have went into economy, but I just kind of didn't want to because I already paid for the business. Now, obviously, they were going to refund me with a, a voucher if I went back into economy for the flight back. But I just figured, like, everything that's going to happen this week, I've paid for the business. I just want the fucking business, man. God forgive me. I know I sound like a spoiled brat, but I just wanted the business. You know, and I didn't want to take a selfie on the fucking plane just in case a couple of days after my mom died. Like, I don't think it's that much to ask. And Delta, they changed me to, I got a flight and there was a change fee. They were going to charge me. I explained the scenario. Guy got on hold one minute later. It's all good, man. We're, we understand and we're not going to charge you. KLM, on the other hand, for my flights to Australia, which was meant to be Sunday night, which I have now delayed until Tuesday night, uh, or Tuesday, um, they didn't waive the fee. And it was a lot. It was 1,400 euros. And... You know, that that's a lot. Uh, and I asked twice. And they didn't waive it. And I got to be honest. I went pretty hard on social media on KLM about an hour ago. And I don't regret it because I just think. You know, and I, I, I paid a lot. For the flights to Australia already. It's not like I'm cheap and it's not like I'm looking for favors. But I just think it's a lot to charge somebody. I, I, I'd rather my mother be alive and I'm not changing the flights. You know? But 
at the same time, I understand. And I'm in a privileged position where I'm flying business. And really, I, I, I had the option just to defend them a little bit. I had the option to cancel my flight for a full refund voucher. But it would have just left me with like trying to find other flights and it was just easier this way. So I just did it and I'll pay the money and that's life. I might even ask my brothers if we can chuck down some end of life expenses that we've incurred and take it out of the estate, but whatever. That's probably a little private. So that's the type of stuff you have to deal with at the end. But anyway, I don't know what else to say. I'll just give you a quick synopsis of my mother's life. She was born in 1940. Lenox Hill Hospital, Manhattan. Her parents, Margaret O'Connor, Nee O'Hare, was from Glengariff at the Tunnel House, the border of Cork and Kerry, right literally on the border. The house was at the tunnel, if you've ever been on that road, that goes from Glengariff to Kenmare. Her father was from Banana, her father was actually a Kerryman. And her, this is my grandmother's father, was from Banan on the Kerry side. And my grandmother's mother was O'Sullivan from Glengariff. And they had a shop and a sort of a boarding house for people that were on the road on the tunnel. And uh, my mother's father was John O'Hare from Kilkey, County Down. And uh, they met in America. Um, and they got married. John O'Hare was a farmer from the mountains of Morn. I think that the the other side of the family, you know, they were a little more middle class, not really so rural, even though the O'Connor's house at the tunnel was very rural. They, they were uh, more like the merchant class. I think there was a bit of a, a bit of nose up at my old grandfather. Big beast of a farmer from County Darn. And uh, anyway, they got married, and uh, my grandfather worked like a like a man of those times in the Great Depression. Worked on the the Midtown Tunnel from Queens to Manhattan. And they had my mother. My mother was there first. And uh, they moved to Queens when my mother wasn't that old. I guess five or six or something. My mother had two brothers, two sisters. Mary Carol Palazzola O'Hare, obviously. Her brother John, John O'Hare. Her brother Kevin, who died when he was 49 of lung cancer. He's a New York City fireman. He had an incredible funeral. The fire department marched them all up Northern Boulevard to St. Andrew's Avellino Church great guy and her younger sister Peggy anyway they grew up classic Irish American Catholic family Flushing Queens 
but, you know, both our parents were bad alcoholics. Bad. And I, I think that the stress of that never left her. I'm not going to lie. She, she had a tough childhood. Tough. A lot of stress. But they got through that, all those kids. And they all, you know, survived it. Did what you know? Did what they had to do. Figured out their own coping mechanisms, and uh, my mother worked for a Dryer and Bernstein, New York City law firm, uh, and uh, you know she met my dad at a party in Manhattan, and uh, they. Well, it's a funny story, actually, because uh, she, you know, they met, and then my dad stood her up for the second date, but the reason why he stood her up for this second date was because, you know, he'd had all these spinal fusions. He broke his back on a trampoline. And, you know, he was a gymnast and everything. He broke his back on a trampoline, and he had to find a new career. That's how he got into modeling, but he had to go in for another spinal fusion. There was no cell phones back then, and... uh a couple of days later, my mother met his friend at a bar, and she, she was, like, cursing him out, being like, you tell that asshole that he stood me up. You know, she's from Queens, you know. She's like, you tell him he stood me up. Who do you think he is? And uh, he explained it to her. And then she went to visit him in the hospital. And, of course, you know, if my mother could look after him, by God, I mean, that's where she was in her element. She was good at looking after people, my mom. So... That's how they met, and they got married, and, well, they had us, and we fucked everything up, <laughs> like kids always do, fucking ruin the party, man, you know, and they were good parents in their own way, in that old school way, you know, particularly my mom, she was tough, but she did what she had to do, you know, and we've had our moments, and We've shared it all out. But she was good, man. She started the Moms Club in St. Kevin's. I have like the vaguest of early memories of being in that Moms Club. You know, she started it and I believe it still goes today. And she started a homeless shelter in St. Kevin's too, which actually was not popular in our neighborhood. A lot of people protested, so much so that NBC News came to St. Kevin's Parish in the 80s. My mother organized to run a winter shelter for homeless people in Manhattan that would be bussed out to different churches around Queens. And my mother volunteered to organize the St. Kevin's one. And locals protested. And my mother went on the news and she fought for it and they got it. And she ran that shelter for years. And it's funny because one of the big protesters became my mother's right-hand man. I'm not going to name him. But he realized that he was wrong and he helped my mom every year with that shelter. It was pretty amazing. We used to go there a lot. I used to hang out with these homeless guys. Mostly black guys coming in from the city, smoking their cigarettes at a time where you would do that. And we sat there and talked to these guys. It was a big experience. First of all, to Realize that they're just normal human beings like everybody else sitting around having a laugh. And secondly, 
that you can do that. You can help people. That's what your mother wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it's a big highlight of my mom's life. But, you know, we always marched in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Uh, in those years, we marched with County Down. And uh, one year, we're marching down the avenue. And suddenly, we hear all these cheers, you know, like, Eileen, Eileen, Eileen. And I didn't know what was going on for a sec. And then suddenly, you could see over on the left-hand side, the west side of Fifth Avenue, all the guys from the homeless shelter were waiting for my mom. She ran over and they all hugged her. And, you know, that's the thing about my mother. that Those hugs from those people that she helped, oh, man, meant so much to her. And she didn't do it for the praise. She did it for the love. She loved these guys. It used to kill her watching people suffering on the streets. And, you know, I, I saw them in the shelter like a couple of weeks later and they said, we got there first thing in the morning so we could get that front section. And County Down marched real late. You know, I don't know if people know the New York St. Patrick's Day Parade, but we were real late that year. And they waited there all day. And they said, we ain't leaving this section till we see Eileen. I don't know what accent that was, but I just, it's a voice that I remember in my head of this one guy. And he was like, we said, we ain't leaving till we see Eileen. It was great. You know, that's who she was. And then in the end, you know, You know, my dad died. You know, she had breast cancer too, by the way, you know. Breast cancer survivor, lung cancer survivor, lupus survivor, MDS survivor, COPD. She survived all of them for a long time. I can't even tell you what took her out in the end. Multiple choice. In the end, you just can't fight it all. And uh, I'm sure I could share other things, but I think I'm getting a little tired. In the end, my dad died. She denied it till the end that he was going to go. She regretted that, actually. That was a tough time. You know, because she just, you know, she just wasn't really Equipped for a life without my dad for a while. It's tough on the spouse. Where it's easier for us to let go of our parents. A spouse is tough, you know. Do it all together for so long. She struggled. And, 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 and I struggled with her after that. I'm not going to lie. Because I just... Eventually there comes a time where you... Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to describe what happened after that, but... She really got her life together in a way that's very commendable. She found a whole new group of friends and got involved in helping people in another way. 
which is a little more private, but she really had a whole other life at the end after my dad died. And a, a way better relationship with all of us. She was calmer. And she admitted that about how anxiety ran her life for so long. She realized that so much of her worry and the control was just un unnecessary. And it was great that she had that. You know? It was great. She had a pretty good go of it after my dad died. Despite the sadness. You know? And I can tell you right now that she went without anything left to be said with us. She was funny too. She did all my radio ads for my tour. Tours over the years. She won an award for one of them. She got an Irish uh, Radio Ad Award. And uh, she was on the Sean Moncrief show. One time. She was great. Actually, I'm going to ask Sean Moncrief to find that. Play it, why not? She was great, man. She was funny, man. I can't even begin to tell you all the funny shit she used to do. So I'll finish this with a with a story about the last thing she ever said. Because my dad was real into the theatrics with the ashes. You know? Actually, I'm going to tell you two stories. First, I'm going to tell you the story of my dad's ashes. This is the final story, okay, guys? I hope you're okay with this. And I'm trying not to be too emotional. You know, I'm trying to keep it like light so my dad which if you saw the documentary made about my dad my dad was Neil James Bond my dad wanted his ashes spread in a particular place in Ballycotton and East Cork because my dad's childhood was in Middleton but he had very happy memories of being in Ballycotton with his grandfather who uh, you know my dad was over there without his parents. His parents were in the UK. So, um, my dad said this very specific place that he wanted his ashes spread. He said it on the documentary. And, you know, I always think my dad, I always thought he had a little bit of a fantasy connection to Ireland sometimes. Like he exaggerated his connection to Ireland. Um, and, you know, he, he was a good exaggerator. So, when he was explaining this place in Ballycott, I always thought that he was like, you know, like sort of like a half memory. Or, and when it went out, the documentary, every single person that messaged me, and it was hundreds, hundreds, all said the exact same spot. He had that spot down to a T. He knew exactly where he wanted it. And he wanted us to spread his ashes there and while we were spreading them, sing the old house by John McCormick, which is kind of a beautiful old Irish song, beautiful Irish tenor, John McCormick. And it um, it goes. It, it's all about the old house and you know the fa where 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 the family used to be, and I believe the last line is, "It's time that I leave here, 
It's Time I Pass On. It's a very good song for the end, you know? And uh, I think I talked about this once before. Maybe on the Des Bishop podcast. Maybe I'm wrong, but... Um, anyway, my dad died February 4th, 2011. And documentary had actually gone out the Tuesday before, the Thursday before. Um, like, like a week and a bit, I guess. And I had been in the opera house and then I came home and he died. Anyway, a lot of people knew that my dad died. There was a lot of articles about it and stuff. And, uh, so I was in Limerick, I don't know, two or three weeks later and doing a show about my dad. My dad was nearly James Bond, uh, even though he'd already died. And I stayed in Adair that time. Adair is way fancier now. It was pretty fancy back then too, but not as fancy as it is now. I stayed in Adair Manor with my two buddies, Kyle and Bob, great friends. And they, we got back to the manor. I was tired, you know, and I had to call my girlfriend at the time. Jenny Lee, who's actually about to have a baby herself, and she was with us when my dad died. Um, and we're not together. It's not my baby. And uh, they went down to the tack bar in Adair Manor, which was the residence bar, to have a drink. And I said, listen, I'm going to go back to the room called Jenny Lee, and then I'll come down to you guys. And weirdly enough, I, I actually, when I hung up the phone, I kind of fell asleep for like five minutes on the couch. At, which wasn't my plan, but I was exhausted. And then I woke up. I think the lads rang me, actually. And I came down. And when I walked into the tack bar, there's a piano player there. He was playing the old house. And I have to tell you that my dad did not say on the documentary that I want you to sing the old house. All he said was he wanted his ashes spread in Ballycott. So I walk into the tech bar, and this piano player is playing The Old House by John McCormick. I recognized it straight away because I had been listening to it because I had to go through it with my dad. We hadn't spread the ashes yet. And I sat down, and I think I was telling the guys... It's funny, you know, this song is the song that my father wanted us to sing, wants us to sing when we spread his ashes. And when the piano player finished, he looked over at me and he said, that's for your father. And, I mean, I know he saw the documentary and he's, he saw me and he dedicated the song to my father, but started playing it before I walked in you know it's so strange uh, I'm not a big uh, I know it's kind of spooky or whatever but I don't care if it was a coincidence or I don't care if that was my dad because I'm not inclined to think much about it I just think it's cool that it happened and whether it was luck or whatever who cares fucking cool <laughs> and my dad would have loved that in the basement of a dare manor that 
somehow I got a little sign, whether it was luck or not. But that was my dad, you know, real dramatic. And, you know, not that you need to know, but we didn't sing the old house when we spread his ashes in Ballycotton. But I played it on YouTube. And it was playing as we spread them. Kind of thought it was nicer. I didn't want any of us to be thinking that we can't sing for shit while we were spreading my dad's ashes. So I just played the YouTube clip, same YouTube clip my dad showed me when he told me the song that he wanted us to sing. Um, so anyway, my mom's not like that. My mom wants to be cremated, same as my dad. She wants a closed casket at her wake. She must have told me a hundred times. Desmond, my casket has to be closed. I do not want people looking at me at the end. Please promise me you'll do a closed casket, Desmond. I mean, you don't know how many times. But yesterday, she was lucid for a while. My aunt, my two aunts were there. And we were just joking around. I walked in and I was like... Jesus, Mom, another flight. How many flights am I going to have to take for you? Kidding, you know? Doing a few jokes and things. I was not going to lie. That's how we communicated. And uh, then, you know, I kind of was like, even though other people were in the room, I had a couple of questions I needed to ask her, just like practical stuff, admin. And just remember that we didn't think this was the last thing. I had some admin. I asked her a couple of things. And then actually my aunts left. Maybe they thought like that we needed to do some chatting. And, uh, you know, I got a good hold of my mom's hand that time, you know. And I mean, she wasn't really much for chatting then by that stage. But, you know, she knew. I mean, she definitely, I mean, she definitely knew I was there. You know, she knew we were there. And, uh. I said, Mom, I know that you want a closed casket, and I know that you want to be cremated, but we never actually discussed where you want us to spread your ashes. And she didn't respond straight away, so I thought, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, because she's obviously on some pain medication, so she would fade in and out, which I thought was the pain medication, but now I realize she was fading all day into the stages of death so I asked her again really loudly in that ignorant way that you do when people are dying and you're desperate to get a few more words out of them I said Ma where do you want us to spread your ashes and she said I don't give a fuck where you spread my ashes <laughs> And that's the last thing she ever said. And that is a very Eileen Bishop final sentence. And I am very happy with it. So thanks for listening, guys. You're great. This has been an episode episode of The Shift. A sex and dating podcast. But, you know, really it's just about life. And death is part of that. 
So thanks. I hope you enjoyed it. Katie is at Katie Boyle Comic. We'll be back to our normally scheduled programming next week. It'll be Sarah Eckel talking about dating and jealousy and dating when you're a little bit older. And uh, I had to cancel Galway. Sorry, guys. Got too much stuff to do over here. My mom's wake is on Thursday. Afternoon and evening. Frederick's funeral home in Flushing, Queens. Her funeral will be on Friday in St. Kevin's, but we don't have a time yet St. Kevin's. It's the church of my youth. I was an altar boy there and a lector. I read. I was actually, I was baptized in St. Andrews, but anyway, whatever. And uh, then I'm going to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And I think I might have to cancel the first night. But I'll get back to you on that. But don't despair. I'm coming. Because my mother would absolutely hate me canceling a lot of shows. And the show must go on. And it would it killed her. The money I was spending on flights. Shows that I was missing. In fact, she said to my brother Aiden. Aiden said, Des is coming back today, Mom. And she said, oh, that's good. But he has to go back for his Galway shows. She was really always worried about everything. But that's endearing. So, uh, I'll be in Melbourne. Then I'll be in Sydney. And then I'll be in Las Vegas. And I'll be in Long Island. And Washington, D.C. this summer. And I'll go anywhere where people will listen. And Katie will be all over New York. And uh, that's it. Tell everybody about this podcast. The night of. And my mom would love that you guys are listening to this. And I hope Sean Moncrief puts up that episode. Thanks. 